Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. We are in a, a, a series at the moment, which we're calling Reclaiming the Rainbow, the difference between pride and promise. And it is a series that we, we've said is, is not a PG series. It's, uh, it's an adult series. It's where we're talking about adult things and adult themes. And so I just encourage you again in that space, if this is something that you have a, a young person or you don't want to hear some of this content, then we have creche and we have children's ministry going on that they're absolutely welcome to be a part of. Uh, but we've talked about this being, it's a family conversation, right? We said the church exists uh, to love the world, to be a light unto the world, to proclaim the goodness of God to the world, to reach out our hand to the world. But we are called to speak the truth in love and we are called to hold the church to account. And when we start to see things, lies uh, from the world starting to infiltrate and affect the church, then we need to take a stand and we need to speak. And so we've spent the last four weeks looking at the idea of pride, looking at where pride comes from, looking at the, the impact of pride. We've seen that, that the origins of pride is a lie. We've seen that it, that it has a negative impact, that it actually comes to steal, kill and destroy. Steal God-given identity as people being image bearers of God. We've seen that it kills innocence. And last week we preached a message where we saw that it leads to idolatry. That actually as we embrace pride, what we're doing is we're embracing uh, the ancient principalities that, that particularly thrived in the Mesopotamian and Canaanite religions that, that affected and impacted Israel, the God of Baal, Asherah and Moloch. And we saw how sinister, how sick, how deceptive these gods are and how one follows the other. Who was with us for that message? And what we saw is that as these, as, as the people of Israel embraced the lie, what happened was, is that first they started to, to follow the Baals. First, they started to remove God as Lord and, and instill themselves as Lord, that it became about me uh, worshipping myself, and in so doing, all of a sudden, the God of Asherah came in, which is the God of sex, the worship of the seductress, where sex became the, the, the goal, where we would actually see shrine prostitutes and there'd be the worship of sex and where it went from covenant to consent. The moral high ground was no longer a covenant with God, but as long as I had consent, we we're all good. And then with Asherah comes Moloch the darkest of that dark trinity and with Moloch comes sacrificing children to the fire of death. And so we saw this increased depravity and increased wickedness. And to be totally honest with you, it was very heavy and it got more and more depressing as the message went on until of course, we always land in the hope of the Gospel. Amen? Amen. Because what we saw is that God never gives up on humanity that where society might try and reject God and kick God out, God will never, ever, ever reject humanity. In Christ, He has come for us. We saw it with Israel, that the godly kings would come in. There'd be judgment on sin. There would be a removal of the Asherah. As truth is spoken, the nation would return to God, yeah? 
And then we saw that with the Gospel. When Jesus came in, these principalities were pushed to the very fringes. They no longer were, were mastery of the, they were no longer the kings of the culture. Christ became king of the culture. And these things existed on the fringe. We didn't really see Him in society until about 70 years ago in the West, where we began to see, if you open your eyes, you begin to see the rejection of God, the worship of Baal, the worship of self, now the worship of Asherah, and in recent times, yeah, the worship of Moloch. But Christ is not done with humanity. And we finished last week looking at how secularism is slowly shifting, that the dam is breaking, that the world is realising the worship of, of Baal, Asherah and Moloch, that these gods, these principalities that we've been enslaved to aren't helping us but actually they are hindering and hurting humanity. And so we're seeing particularly in our younger generations, those who have eyes to see are starting to be awakened to woke. And they're starting to realise that, hey, me diving down this line isn't helping me. And we're seeing a shift. We're seeing post-secularism start to rise. We're starting to see people ask more questions, people being more and more receptive to the truth of the Gospel than ever before. And church, I believe we are entering into a Genesis 4.26 day. Genesis 4.26, after Cain murders Abel, when the idea of pride has taken root and humanity is spiralling out of control into wickedness and depravity, where God hands them over to that, that Romans 1 judgment that we looked at last week that Paul talks about. But it says in, in Genesis 4.26, it says, at that time, people began to seek the Lord. I believe we are entering into a Genesis 4.26 day where people are again beginning to seek the Lord where there is a truth seeking, truth has been eroded and now there are people longing for something to put their feet on, amen? Longing to say, well, all of this is falling away. None of this is helping me. I need something to stand on. And they're asking questions again. It is the greatest time to be alive right now in the church because revival is on the way. As the church rises up and begins to speak the truth in love, we are going to see a mighty harvest. It's been on my heart all week. It says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that He might raise up workers for the field. I've been praying to the Lord of the harvest this week that He would raise up the workers because God is moving in our day. Amen. God is moving in our day. The demonic realm has been defeated at the cross of Christ. The Holy Spirit is moving, drawing people unto Himself. And yep, the demonic realm is still there. The principalities are still there, but their chains are broken. I had a picture this week that there is people, so many people who are sitting there with chains around their shoulders. The chains are broken. 
And this is why Paul says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The chains are broken. It means that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually can just throw them off. We don't need to sit in those chains of enslavement any longer. We don't need to sit enslaved to the principalities of Baal, Asher and Moloch. No, no, there is freedom in Christ. It's for freedom that He has set us free. The truth will set you free. Freedom is here. Freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from condemnation, freedom from addiction, freedom in Christ Jesus. And so as we come to the final message in this series, we've followed this really logical pattern. I've tried to just be like, stick to the Word, don't get political. Because when we get political in the church, people get upset. But when you stick to the Word, it's like people can still get upset, but it's the Word of God. So it's like, well, that's the Word of God. So, And so we've, we've stuck to the Word. We've followed this logical pattern. And at the end of last week, we got to this point where all of a sudden it's like, there's a thousand different directions we can go. I'm like, where do we go from here? What are we talking about? I felt the Lord just prompting my heart to say, land where you left. Because last week we landed on four key ideas of how do we respond to everything that we've heard? How do we respond? And we just had only like five minutes to actually try and talk about it. So what I wanna do today is unpack those four things from 1 Peter 5. Take some time to sit in them. How do we move forward? How do we respond as a church? What are we to do in this day and age? And then we'll enter a different series for a bit and who knows, maybe we'll come back to this in a couple of months time as the Lord leads. Amen? So let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter 5. And we'll read from verse 5 to 11. In the same way, you who are youngest, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will, underline that, Will He will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. Amen. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We praise You. We worship You. We adore You. Lord, we pray that you would speak. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. God, I ask today for a spirit of encouragement to come upon this place, to come upon every single person, a spirit of encouragement. Lord, where we leave this place knowing that you go before us, knowing that you are building your kingdom 
and knowing that you are the one who transforms and changes lives and knowing that each and every one of us, as we walk humbly before you, that we are held in the unshakable grip of grace that cannot be revoked, that it cannot, we cannot slip out of it. You are holding your people and you are moving and you will come again to judge the living and the dead, to wipe away every tear and to restore all things. So speak, Lord, we humbly come before you in the precious name of Jesus and all God's children said, Amen. So we've seen, as we've explored pride, what we've seen is pride is about a whole lot more than an LGBTQ plus movement. Pride is a whole lot more. It's about a, it goes a whole lot deeper than gay rights. It goes a whole lot deeper than civil rights. It goes a whole lot deeper than tolerance and acceptance. What we have seen is that the pride The rainbow movement, the six coloured number of man rainbow movement is actually about truth and lies. Yeah? Fundamentally, that's what this comes down to. It comes down to truth and lies. It's about uh, dominion and defiance. It's about the enemy wanting what he wanted from the very beginning of time wanting to be worshipped, wanting to be enthroned in the hearts of humanity and wanting to destroy the image of God identity that exists in every single human being because it's exactly who He wanted to be. And so it's this sinister lie which comes in to try and kill, steal and destroy what God has made good. That's what this movement is about. And when we understand that, when we understand this idea of truth and lie, it shifts the landscape of the conversation because we understand that actually pride is something that comes against every single one of us. It's not something that we should just limit to LGBTQ+. Pride actually is knocking at the door of every single human being. And if we're not careful, we can push it aside and say, well, that's them, not me. But we need to look at the plank in our own eye and recognise, hey, where am I being seduced by the lie of pride? And as we can recognise where am I being seduced by the lie of pride and can begin to walk in the truth, then we can begin to start to speak into this in grace, speaking the truth in love. Amen? Amen. So that's where we've been. And what we've understood is that the pride rainbow movement really is the modern day Babel. It's, the, it's culminating in that Genesis 11, the, the building up of a tower under heaven. Me wanting to turn myself into God. Me wanting to determine what is right and wrong for myself. Me wanting to say what is true and what is not. Rather than subjecting myself to God's rule and reign, I want to subject Him to my rule and reign. But that's not the Christian faith. And that's not the gospel. Freedom doesn't come from us rejecting God's rule and reign. Freedom comes as we submit to His rule and reign. That's how we get free. Actually, when we reject God's rule and reign and put ourselves as Lord, we become enslaved to our desires. And we become enslaved to the principalities that seek to reign and rule over our desires. And it's not just me saying stuff. All of the statistics show this to be true. 
And so it's actually in, in dying to self, in becoming slaves of Christ, that we truly find the freedom that we were created for. That is love and that is freedom. And so that's what we're declaring. And so as we look at this whole movement, what are we to do? How are we to respond in this world? And so I wanna bring us back to the points we landed on last week. How do we respond? And the first thing we talked about was submitting to the truth. Coming back to this 1 Peter 5 passage where it says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. So as a church, the first thing we gotta do is submit to truth, humble ourselves under God's rule and reign. If the church is going to be a beacon of light to the world in these days, if we're gonna walk in freedom and proclaim freedom, we must submit to truth. Now, let me try and help us and explain this. I'm not a builder. I have, I'll be totally honest with you, I have very limited skills when it comes to anything to do with handiwork. What I do know, however, is there is a term that builders will use when something is gonna stand the test of time. And a term that they will use for something to be level is they will say that something is true, yeah? Builders understand that truth is not subjective. Builders understand that there is an objective truth. And the thing that they use to show it is this. Yeah? Because let me, let me explain this to you. You see, if you're building a, gender, a Jenga tower, because that's about as good as my building skills are. If I start to build according to my, uh, my own line of truth, right? Mark, you know what I'm talking about here. If I start to build according to my own line of truth, and just put stuff haphazardly. What can happen here? How sturdy and strong are we? So what a builder does is they don't just leave it up to their own eye. A builder doesn't say, right, I'm building a house here. I'm just gonna use my eye. I'm gonna be like, yeah, that looks about right. That'll do. Because if you build a whole house based off of your own perception, years later when a, wind, a storm comes or where someone's doing something, that house is gonna come crumbling down because it's built according to my perception, not according to what is true. So what we do in building a building is you use a level and you align the foundation and you align the framework of that foundation to an external source of truth. Are you with me? Are you with me? Does that make sense? We always build according to an external source of truth because we understand that I can't just use my own eye to determine what is true because eventually it's gonna come crumbling down. Now, if that's true when it comes to construction, how much truer is that when it comes to life? 
when it comes to the moral framework that all of creation is built upon. And I want you to see how sinister this is. You see, the lie comes in really simply. And what the lie says, it says, hey, you don't need this external framework. And we saw this with Darwinism, you know, 70 odd years ago. What happened was, is the lie entered humanity and the lie said, no, no, you're not made in God's image. All you are is evolved from a single cell amoeba. In fact, you're actually, there's nothing more special about you than any other creature on earth. We begin just to throw blocks all over the place because we're removing a, a, the external objective truth. And as soon as that lie starts entering schools and universities and we start convincing particularly children that they have actually no intrinsic external value or worth because they're, no, they're nothing, there's no design in them that, that's different from any other animal. They just happen to evolve over the course of millions of years. And if you start to remove the, the moral... That wasn't supposed to fall that quickly. But if you start to remove the value that a human being has and start to say they're nothing more than an animal, well, then we actually start to believe that I'm nothing more than an animal. And when I start to believe that I'm nothing more than an animal, I start to behave like I'm nothing more than an animal. And when I start to behave like I'm nothing more than an animal, then before you know it, Someone comes along and says, well, why not just sleep around? You're just an animal. It's an animalistic instinct. It's an animalistic urge. Go on, just do it. We go, yeah, why not? Why shouldn't I? That's all I am. And if that's all I am, well, then I might as well behave like one. And then someone comes along and says, yeah, and marriage actually isn't a thing that's designed by God. You don't need to worry about that. That's just a social construct. We go, yeah, well, if I'm just an animal, then why worry about that? And why worry about what God says about marriage? I'll just do it my way. And then when we start to believe that, things start to get wobbly. And then if I start to believe that I'm nothing more than an animal and I start to behave like I'm nothing more than an animal, then I can start to identify however I want to identify. I can start to say, well, I'm not a male. I'm whatever I think I am. And all of a sudden you get to the point in society where we have landed right now, where you have children coming to school identifying as furries. In fact, you've got 107 different gender types that you can identify right now. 107 when God said there was male and female. 107. It's called anthropomorphism when you start to believe that actually I'm not even human, I'm an animal. We've got to understand how destructive this is. 
Because we're not building according to the level. We're building according to perception. We're putting our feelings above facts and we're putting our feelings above faith. And as soon as we start to build on feelings, eventually everything comes crumbling down. Church, a little over 10 years ago, I, uh, when I was still teaching phys ed in high school, I did a term-long unit on nutrition and fitness. And it was sick. Like, I loved it. And I had this awesome year 10 class. They were amazing. Diligent, devoted, committed, working out. Uh, like, things were going really, really good until the sixth week. And in the sixth week of a 10-week unit, a little alarm bell went off in my mind. Because what I noticed was that a, a, a small group of these guys started coming in at lunchtime, year 10, giving up lunchtime to sit with me, their teacher, to talk about nutrition, to talk about their weak diet plan, to talk about their workout regime, then they started coming in after school to work out. Some of them started coming in before school to work out. And I was like, the, the temptation meter was like, I am flipping killing this. Like year 10s want to stay in at lunchtime to talk nutrition. This couldn't be going any better. Until I realised, and actually until I overheard a conversation. And one of those conversations that I overheard was this small group of girls comparing each other's body image. And what the language they were using was, oh, you are this, you're looking amazing. You're doing so well. I am dot, dot, dot. And in that moment, an alarm bell went off for me because I realised the focus had gone from gaining health to losing weight. And the focus had gone from bettering myself to comparing myself. And if you're in that industry, that's like, woo, 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 there's something not quite right. So the first thing I did is I went and had a chat with our school counsellor about it. Second thing I did was I pulled the whole class in. We had a really big chat about what the goals of this unit are, what the dangers of comparison are, all of that stuff, right? And immediately I noticed a shift. There was, there was a tangible change in the dynamic of that class in everyone except for one person. And over the next six months, despite a very concerted effort from doctors, psychologists, who are doctors, school, family, we watched as this one beautiful young girl lost more and more and more weight and eventually lost an entire year of school to an eating disorder. Throughout that entire eating disorder, that girl identified as being morbidly obese. Do you know what set her free? Now she's happy, healthy, doing really, really well. Do you know what set her free? It wasn't a whole bunch of people standing around saying, yeah, that's what you are, affirming what was wrong up here. What set her free was a whole bunch of people 
speaking the truth to her in love and saying, no, 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 you are not morbidly obese. You are radically unhealthy. Something is not right and we need to get you well. Hear me, family. If that is true with an eating disorder and we recognise that when someone identifies physiologically as something they are not and the whole world understands that that's a problem in the mind that needs to be shifted because there is a external authority that we can tell, which is a scale. And we're able to speak the truth in love and get them the help they need to get well. How much truer is it for gender identification? We have to understand that gender dysphoria is a more dangerous disease of the mind than an eating disorder. Do your research, almost 50% of people who have an eating disorder have suicide ideation. I told you this is gonna be a bit heavy. 70% of people with gender dysphoria have suicide ideation. Gender dysphoria is more dangerous than an eating disorder. Do you understand that? And yet society is affirming it and saying, well, that's who you are. Go and have surgery, go and mutilate your body, go and do what you need to do to feel right in your body. We are telling people rather than, like Jesus says that you're gonna be, you'll find freedom in submitting to the truth. That we understand that actually we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And if our mind is telling us something but the external objective truth is telling us something else, we have a choice. Either we bend this truth to bow to how I'm feeling in my mind, or we tell the truth in love, lovingly surround people, lovingly work together to help them transform their mind to align with what is true. that we actually recognise in telling the truth of God's creative design and creative intent, it is not harmful, hurtful, bigoted. It is none of those things. That is a lie designed to destroy the image of God, identity and humanity. The truth sets people free. The truth is the loving thing to proclaim. And we don't do it how so many churches are doing it where they're shouting from the, this side and throwing stones. That's not helpful. The helpful thing to do is to sit alongside someone just like we did with this beautiful young girl, sit alongside them, go on the journey, walk with them, let them know that regardless of how they're feeling, we are there for them. We are with them in the road, but we don't bend the truth We hold fast to the truth because the truth is the level that keeps the building upright. We have a whole society right now, the whole world is shouting, you are what you feel. And as the church, we've been given a gift, which is the truth of the gospel And we need to simply stand on that truth and submit to it and start to declare to the world, no, 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 you are who He's made you. 
You are who He's made you and Christ is enough. We are called to submit to the truth. We align our minds with the truth of God's promise, no matter what we feel, because feelings come and go, feelings are fleeting, but the Word of God stands forever. Number two. So number one, we submit to the truth. Number two. Last week we talked about waking up, yeah? There's a church we actually need to be aware of what is going on. How are you going? We going all right? As a church, we need to be aware of what's going on. We talked about the principalities last week. We need to be aware of what is happening in culture. And especially speaking to the adults, we need to be aware. We need to recognise there's stuff going on. Open our eyes to the battle. And the battle is always waged, uh, always fought in the mind. That's where the battle comes against humanity, in the mind. And the battle, especially right now, is being targeted at youth, young adults and children, but especially youth and children. Do you know, just last week, Big W released a book. Who saw this? There is an agenda to hypersexualize our children. Do you understand that? If you don't, you need to wake up to what is going on. There is an agenda to hypersexualize our children. If you don't know what book this was that got released, it was a great outcry. Basically, it was the Kama Sutra for kids. It was a cartoon version that showed explicitly sexual behaviors, educating children about them. Children, targeted at children. And they say it's targeted at 10-year-olds, but if it's targeted at 10-year-olds, you're gonna have five-year-olds picking up that book and looking at it. There is an agenda to hypersexualize children in our day right now, and we must be aware of it. There is so much going on. This is why we see things like the drag queen story time stuff trying to get into schools. It's why there's such a push in our schools and in, things, and in community events to bring children into the pride movement. And it's, it is an attempt to normalise hypersexual activity and hypersexual education. That is what is actually happening in our society right now. The question is why? And the answer is a fascinating one because the answer is found in Proverbs where it says, train a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. How many of you know that when God instills a biblical principle, no matter how you apply that, that biblical principle is true. It's like the principle that unity commands a blessing. You don't have to be a Christian to find the blessing of God in unity. You see it in any environment where you see a secular business that manages to have profound unity, you're gonna see a blessing in that business. The same is true, train a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. And so when the enemy who is acutely aware of the Word and the promises of God recognises that if I train a child in the way they should not go, then that is gonna be very hard for them to depart from that. And so if you can start to hypersexualize children and teach them that this book had the virginity myth, that virginity is bad, but actually exploration is good because it's going to train you sexually for your partner in the future, If you can start to train children in that, if you can start to normalise uh, 
youth sexuality and sexualization, then you're gonna begin to erode and destroy the image of God identity that exists in the heart of every person. And if you can get them when they're young, then the impact is huge. We have to understand this. Let me throw some stats at you. This isn't just me randomly babbling along. The study of the, in a, a study conducted in the Journal of Youth and Adolescence found that by, even by a, a study where they subjected young children, young girls especially, 10 and 11 year olds, to appearance focused games. So just playing like online games. But they subjected one group to image base, which means, you know, the, the girls were all dressed up in their bikinis with their, you know what I'm saying. They had another group that played games, but they weren't appearance-based. Here's what this study found. It found it had a significant, on the the group that were doing the appearance-based games, a significantly detrimental effect on body image, self-esteem and aspirations for the future. Simply by subjecting them over a period of a couple of months to appearance-based games. Another study from the American Psychological Association found that sexualization of children harms cognitive function, physical and mental health, healthy sexual development by creating byproducts of eating disorders, poor self-esteem and depression. If children are exposed to hypersexual activity and images, it begins to erode the image of God identity that God has put in their heart they begin to doubt who they are and they begin to behave like animals. We must wake up to that reality. And as we wake up to that reality, then we can begin to speak the truth in love. Thank God there were enough people who were awake when Big W released this book, there was enough outcry that it got removed from the shelves. Amen? Church, wake up. Let's not just buy into this stuff. Let's not allow this stuff just to creep into our homes. Let's not allow this stuff to creep into our family units. Let's be a voice of reason and a voice of truth and understand the battle and fight the good fight of faith. All the statistics show us that as the image of God identity is destroyed through Asherah coming in, it is negative for human development because it is destroying God's good creation. Third message of the series. God's good creation is good and leads to life. When we destroy God's good creation and God's creative intent, it produces death. How are we going? It's awfully heavy. I realise that, but it's important. Amen? Okay, number three. So we've got to submit to the truth. We've got to wake up. And we've got to stand up. Stand up. Let's go to Genesis 2 for a second. There's a fascinating thing in Genesis 2 that has caught my attention this past week. Reading from verse 15 through to 18. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. We've looked at that in the past. Here's the thing I want you to see. Who did the command go to, Adam or Eve? The command went to Adam. Yes? The command went to Adam. Fast forward to chapter three. Who does the serpent come to, Adam or Eve? Eve. So the command goes to Adam. The serpent comes to Eve. Question, where is Adam when the serpent comes to Eve? It says he is with her and yet he is silent. Oh, I feel like preaching right now. The command comes to Adam. The serpent comes to Eve. So the inference is here that Adam has been given the authority And he has obviously spoken to Eve and said, this is how we're supposed to behave. This, is, this thing here is not good. Let's steer clear from it at some point. And yet for some reason, both Adam and Eve are near the tree. They're within arm's reach of it. Why? Why are they there in the first place? That's the first question, especially young people in relationships. When people always ask me, how far is too far? What boundaries should we put in place? Here's the question. If you're asking that question, you're probably already too far. Because you shouldn't be be building a relationship based on boundaries. You should be building a relationship on a foundation of value. When we build a relationship based on boundaries, what happens, human nature is this. I can't quite see. When you build a relationship based on the foundation of value, you stand in the middle of that foundation, you get on that value, and instead of going, how far can I go? You say, how much can I improve loving you based on these values? It's a much better foundation to build on. I am gonna love you unconditionally. I'm gonna honour you above myself. I'm gonna serve you wholeheartedly. Therefore, I'm not gonna run to that boundary because that boundary is, is on the edge of my value. Now I'm gonna stand on my value and I'm gonna actually serve you as, as, for guys as Christ loves the church. And girls, when you've got a guy who loves Jesus more than you, hang on to him. Because he's gonna love you the way you should be loved. And guys, our focus should be on loving Christ more than we love our wives. Guess what? We're gonna make that mistake over and over again. I'm the first one to put my hand up. I stuff up all the time. Just ask Jo, she'll tell you. Sometimes I'm a wretched husband and I prioritise things wrong and I don't love her as I should love the church. But that's part of the, the, the fight of faith. It's part of growing and accountability and honesty and integrity and, and wanting to recognise that I need to be growing in sanctification. Is there anybody here who's perfect? Wives, is your husband perfect? Raise your hand. You just lied. Husbands, is your wife perfect? Raise your hand. (laughs) A lot of hands went up. (laughs) We know that they're not. But that's why as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's why we've got to grow in Christ and long to be more like Him, amen? And the way we do that is by setting our feet on the foundation of Christ, not by just putting boundaries in place. That was a complete tangent that I've gone to. What was I talking about? Genesis 2, Genesis 3. So the devil came to, to Eve to tempt her, right? 
Adam was with her and was silent. Here's the thing. Adam was the one who had the responsibility. We looked at this a few weeks ago. The responsibility of loving Eve and serving Eve and leading Eve in the way she should go. That was his responsibility. The dakar that we talked about, that Hebrew word. That was his mandate. That was his call. And his job was when the serpent came to speak up and say, no, that's not good for us. We're not going to go down that line. He was given the command to do that. He should have stood up, but he didn't. We have to take responsibility. We have to be a people who stand up and fight. Fight the good fight of faith. And honestly, I believe this with all of my heart. It actually begins with men. It begins with husbands and it begins with fathers. We looked at this again a few weeks ago because that same responsibility is the parental responsibility over a child. Yes, to protect, to have responsibility financially, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, physiologically. As parents, we are actually called to fight and stand up for our children. If you are here and you don't have children, If you're an auntie or an uncle, you have an opportunity and a responsibility to fight for them and hold uh, true for them. If you are someone who's interested in having children one day, begin to build on the foundation now. If you're someone who's like, I don't really care about children, well, fight for yourself and for your friends. Understand the call. Can I speak to parents for one second? Can I speak to parents for a second? When we fight for our kids, we have to understand, again, I'm not speaking as someone who's got this perfectly down pat because I stuff this up all the time. But we tend to to float between two things. We tend to either go to the helicopter parent where we're hovering over them and saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do whatever. Or we go the other way where we're kind of the absent parent and they just get away with whatever. Here's a biblical, well, it's not a biblical picture, but I think it's a helpful picture for what the biblical narrative is talking about. Parents, we are supposed to be F-22 fighter jet parents. Can we put that image up? This is the picture. Listen to this. Parents, don't hover over your children and prevent them from thriving. What we are called to do is teach them to fly but you do not abandon them. One who is flying by themselves, just watch Top Gun. I learned this in Top Gun. (laughs) Tom Cruise taught me this. If you're flying by yourself, you're in a lot of danger. You need a wingman. Parents, this is what we're called to be. We're called to teach our children to fly, but we fly right there with them. And when stuff comes against them to shoot them down, our job is to shoot that thing down. It is not to just sit there and be like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. You know, No, be brave and bold and act. That is your job as a parent, is to shoot the enemy out of the sky so that your child can fly in the calling that God has given them. We do not abandon them. We do not prevent them from flying. We fly with them, right? That is the mandate. That is how we are called to live. That is the gift that God has given us to actually radically fight against the enemy. Can I get really practical for a minute? These things, 
are cool. Some of you are already getting nervous. <laughs> These things have changed the world and they are a really useful tool. In fact, these things are the modern day Roman road. They've become a great gift. Social media, technology has become an incredible gift for us to be able to get the Gospel to the edges of the world, amen? All right, so I'm not saying these things are inherently evil. However, we have to understand that when you give this to a 10 year old, not only are you giving them access to the internet, you're giving the internet access to them. There is a wonderful book by a guy called Brad Huddleston called Digital Cocaine. I would encourage every parent to read it. Digital Cocaine. It talks about the impact of technology and especially things like pornography on the adolescent mind and what it does. And we don't have time to go down that line right now. We're gonna be doing a seminar in a couple of weeks around pornography as a church. Encourage everyone to come to that. It's gonna be really, really helpful. But please understand, what are we doing with this? Please parents, use your brains. Don't give the internet unfettered access to your children. Because the statistics, as I said the other, other day, are right there. Over 50% of children under the age of nine have seen pornography on one of these things. Let's be smart, yeah? Let's be smart. You pray about it. You make your minds up about it. You think about it. But please be smart. Youth, young adults, fill your minds with things that are going to bring you life. Listen to me. You don't have to look at everything that your friends are looking at. Look at me, young people, look at me right now. This is really, really important. Your eyes are truly the window to your soul. And you've got to understand that what you fix your mind on, what you gaze upon, will become master over you if you keep looking at it. That's why the Bible says, fix your eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith, because as you fix your mind on Christ, then your mind becomes renewed by the truth and you can walk in the truth. When you fix your mind on lies or on nonsense, you, be, you become enslaved to the nonsense that you're fixing your eyes on. How are we going? We've got to understand this because it's true. It takes 10,000 hours to become the master of something. Do you know how quickly people are accruing 10,000 hours on this stuff? Do you know the average teenager spends over 40 hours a week on social media? 40 hours, that's a work week. Let's be smart, think about it, and young people, think about it. Fill your minds with stuff that's gonna bring you life, not stuff that's gonna bring you death. You get to choose what goes in and out of your head. 
You get to choose what you say no to. You get to choose what you say yes to. You get to use this to be a create, like to be a co-creator with God and create something that's gonna bless the world and be a benefit to the world. You get to be, Christians should be at the forefront of creativity, innovation and design because God is a creator and His Spirit is a creative spirit. We should be leading the world in these places. So I'm not saying just sit in a little cave and rock back and forth and be like, oh no, the world's out to get me. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is fly in the truth. Yeah? Have I made myself clear? We're very practical today, but it's the last message in this series and there's a thousand things I wanna talk about and I gotta get it out there and I have to finish at some point. So with that in mind, how do we fight? Let's close this thing. Let's land this plane. Ephesians 2, go to Ephesians 2. How do we stand? Sorry, not Ephesians 2, Ephesians 6. How do we stand? Number, uh, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Armour of God. Learn to put on the armour of God. This is something that my dear friend Andrew who's sitting over there taught me many years ago when we were interior space coordinators. What that means is we used to set up Thursday craft at the church and we called ourselves interior space coordinators because that was a really cool name. But what we would do is we'd set up tables and chairs for Thursday craft and we'd talk and we'd pray. And I remember one day I was talking to him about something and he goes, have you put your armour on today? And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, the armour, the armour of God, have you put your armour on? And we started to talk about the armour and what it means to put the armour on, what it means to walk in the, the covenant protection of God, but not just His protection, but in His power so that we can stand against the devil's schemes. And so he started to teach me about what it means to put on the helmet of salvation, to guard our mind, to be careful with what we let into our eyes, to actually go, no, my mind is gonna be renewed by the truth. I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually read God's Word. I'm gonna get truth in. I'm gonna speak to people who are gonna speak life into me, not death into me. I'm gonna guard my mind, the breastplate of righteousness. I'm gonna guard my heart for it's the wellspring of life. How do we guard our heart? How do we have a righteous heart? The way we have a righteous heart is through repentance. Because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and we are in Christ Jesus as we repent of our sin, as we humble ourselves before Him and allow Him to speak. Stay with me, we're almost there. Repent, walk in repentance. Listen to this. This is a, a, a lady, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. 
Now, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield was a lesbian LGBTQ plus activist. She was an English professor and God radically changed her life. Now she's a pastor's wife. Incredible, incredible woman. Um, She wrote a book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Listen to this quote. We're gonna have it up on the screen. There is only one thing to do when you meet the living God. You must fall on your face and repent of your sins. Repentance is is a bittersweet business. Repentance is not just a conversion exercise. It's the posture of the Christian. How good's that? Much like tree or full lotus is the posture of the yoga. Repentance is our daily fruit, our hourly washing, our minute by minute wake up call, our reminder of God's creation, Jesus' blood and the Holy Spirit comfort. Repentance is the only no shame solution to a renewed Christian conscience because it only proves the obvious God was right all along. How good is that? Repentance. That's how we put the breastplate on. Recognising repentance isn't a one-time decision. No, repentance is a lifestyle of recognising that I fall short of the glory every single day. And so I'm gonna walk in repentance and believe with all of my heart and know beyond any shadow of doubt that His blood is enough. That when I'm under His blood, I'm covered, I'm washed, I am clean. As far as the East is from the West, so far as He removed every single sin from me, that He no longer sees my sin. If I am in Christ, I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Come on, somebody. I am redeemed. If you are in Christ, you are redeemed. You wear the breastplate of righteousness. Repent and remind yourself of that. Truth was spoken about. The sandals of peace. Learn to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Peacekeepers run around from left to right, just trying to keep people happy. And oftentimes peacekeepers will bend the truth in order to make it happen. Peacemakers live by the truth, but go on the long journey, yeah? Let's be peacemakers. That's what the Gospel is. The Gospel is God reconciling humanity to Himself. The Gospel is God being a peacemaker on the earth, taking responsibility. Let's be a people who take responsibility, who go out to make peace by the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit with the world and with one another. Again, there's so much there that we wanna talk about, but we gotta keep moving. The shield of faith. Do you know that faith is a gift from God? Do you know that? God's given us a shield of faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. It is so, so easy for us to see what's in front of us and be deceived, just like Eve. It says it was pleasing to the eye seemed good for eating. It's not that bad. It's only a little bit off of what God said. It's not that big a deal. What does it matter if I just bend it one little bit? You know, what does it matter if, yeah, God said that, but that just seems a little outdated in our culture. 
seems a little unhelpful for where I'm at right now. So I still love God, but just going to... Faith is living according to God's promises. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And it is a shield to His people. Live by faith, not by sight. And here's the thing, as we begin to live by faith and as we begin to pray in the Spirit on all occasions, do you know what you begin to do? I hope you saw that as that just happened in my mind. A big sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Please understand the power of the sword that God has given us as a weapon against the enemy. We are with Uh, We are not without an offensive weapon. The Word of God is a two-edged sword. It's about living by the truth. It's about proclaiming the truth in love. It's about taking that sword, sharpening that sword with one another and being ready for the fight. It's about becoming that F-22 fighter jet, ready for the battle that God has called us into because we are in a battle. Imagine if the church, instead of spending 40 hours on TikTok, spent 40 minutes in the Word. I don't say that to bring any condemnation. I just say that in love. You want to put on muscle? You got to do the work. Yeah? You don't just walk into a gym and be like, I'm massive. Step by step, doing the work. You want to be strong in the Spirit? You want to see in the Spirit and understand what's going on in our world? You want to fight the good fight against the enemy? You want to begin to have victory against the things that are enslaving you and those around you? Learn to swing the sword. Learn to get the truth into us and go... On guard. Yeah? I got a picture right now of an entire church just standing there on guard. The enemy comes to the gates, and what he sees is a church standing there in their armour, and he's like, Oh, goodness gracious, I better go. Because the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And we don't fly alone. We fly together. And armour, the armour is not just for the individual, the armour is for the church. We stand together, encouraging one another championing one another. When things are going well, uplifting one another. When things are going badly, surrounding one another, helping one another, cheering one another on. We don't forsake 
the meeting of the fellowship. No, we press on toward the prize that God has given us. I need to stop talking. Let's stand to our feet. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we've talked about a lot over these last five weeks. Father, I pray that the stuff that's my opinion would just disappear from people's hearts. And I pray that your truth would land in good soil and bear good fruit. Holy Spirit, I pray now for a spirit of encouragement to come upon each person here. Upon the parents in this room, I just pray that the equipping, yeah, your equipping spirit would guide them and lead them. Teach each one of us how to fight the good fight of faith for our families. Teach us how to take our stand. Teach us how to speak the truth in love to our children. Teach us how to love them and lead them and guide them and shape them and help them. Lord, for our youth right here in this room, I pray that you would strengthen their feeble arms and weak knees, that they would rise up to be a Gideon in their generation, that though they feel weak, though they feel isolated, though they feel like the lowest of the low and set uh, different from everybody else, that they would take their stand and they would become leaders in this generation. That they would know who they are, that the lie of the enemy would not get in to steal, kill and destroy what you have put in them, but they would run the race knowing who they are, bold in faith, bold in their identity in you, bold that they are a beloved child of the King. And they don't have to bow to this culture, but like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they can take their stand and they can say, no, I'm not gonna just bow down to idols. I'm not gonna blindly accept the idols of this world. I will stand and know that the God who I serve is able to deliver me from the flames. And indeed He is. Lord, I pray Your strength upon each person here. Lord, I just, I pray for creative ideas. 
to help us be strong, to build according to the plumb line of Your truth, to run together, to stand firm with one another, not bending to the left or to the right according to perception, but firmly grounded in the promise. Because pride will always influence perception and lead to death. But your promise is true and leads to life. I pray your blessing upon this place and blessing upon each person. In the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. So as we close, we're going to sing a song. But as we do, I really would love to pray as we finish this series. And I'd love to invite you guys to pray with one another, to have a moment where we pray for one another to wear the armour, to wear the armour well. Is that all right? So whether you right here in this moment would like a specific prayer from an elder or a member of our prayer team, elders can and prayer team, can we just spread? If you would like that, sure. But if not, maybe just now, turn to the person next to you, even if this feels uncomfortable, if it's your family members, whatever it is, take a moment, pray with one another. Parents maybe even pray for children or children pray for each other, youth pray for each other. I don't know. I just feel like we need to have a time of prayer as we close this series that we would be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might that we would stand firm, speaking the truth in love, wearing the armour, knowing that no weapon formed against us will prosper so that we can go out into the world, make disciples of all people, baptising them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, that we might see captives set free. Amen? Free from the curse of sin and death, walking and the power of the life of Jesus. And if you'd like really private prayer, the room upstairs is open as well. Let's just have that time now. So break off, do as the Lord leads, and then these guys will lead us in a final song. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.